You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today I'm interviewing my friend Karen Sacon for part two of our podcasts on contraception. Today we're going to be talking about LARCs, long-acting reversible contraceptives. So, Karen, tell me about LARCs. What constitutes a LARC? Uh, Thanks so much for having me back to discuss other contraceptive options in more depth today. LARCs are the long-acting options that don't need to be taken on a daily basis, and they last months to years, depending on which one. Taking away the need for women to adhere to a medication regimen makes them much more reliable and effective. This includes hormonal implants, intrauterine devices or IUDs, and injectables. As a follow-on to last week's discussion, I think it's actually quite important to bring this up during any pill consult, because LARCs are undoubtedly a more effective contraception and a truly better option for some women. And we wouldn't be doing our job well if we didn't bring them up when we have the opportunity to discuss it with a reproductive age woman. Young women especially are much more likely to struggle taking the pill consistently each day, So keep in mind, there are 365 chances of forgetting a pill every year, and anyone can. Even I have, and I'm, you know, and I'm a women's health GP. So it really can happen to anybody, and it only takes one pill um, being forgotten to fall pregnant. There are a lot of women who've been put onto the combined pill at a young age because that's historically been the go-to hormonal contraceptive used. It's not seen as being invasive um, like LARCs are. A lot of women either don't know about these longer acting options or need a proper discussion with a healthcare professional and not just hearsay from their friends. It's amazing how many myths exist about them. <laughs> LARCs are far more common in Europe um, and there are reasons for their lack of use in Australia, but a huge one is historically the lack of access to healthcare providers who are trained in insertion of IEDs and implants. It's also just still not seen as as socially acceptable as the pill is, Um, but I've definitely seen that is really changing in recent years. All that being said, there are disadvantages in that all the LARCs are either progesterone only or non-hormonal. For women with acne, the estrogen component can be quite important. They also all require someone trained in insertion, and they're seen as being more expensive, but that's actually not necessarily accurate because many last for years, so it's just a bigger upfront cost, um, but overall it might still be cheaper. Yeah, look, I I definitely agree with what you're saying. In my career, I have seen larks just really explode in use. I'm also blessed by working in a clinic with nine female GPs, many of whom are trained in Implanon and Marina, so um, I'm seeing more and more women using it. They're a really cost-effective option, as you say. They last for three years, most of them, some five, and 99.9% effective. Plenty of GPs and nurses across the country can insert them. So tell me, do you see them as being popular? Uh, Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll talk about the implant first. So we have one brand of hormonal implant in Australia, and that's the Implanon. But other countries have different ones that, um, that, you know, even come in different shapes, doses and durations. As you all well know, the Implanon is a flexible plastic rod that contains the progesterone etonergestrel. It's generally inserted into the inner part of the upper arm, sitting directly under the skin, where it continuously releases a small amount of the hormone into the bloodstream over years. As you mentioned, um, Implanon is one of the most effective forms of contraception available. It's easy to both insert and remove, um, but does require special training to do so. The new insertion devices fortunately make it quite difficult to insert the Implanon too deep, so hopefully those very tricky Implanon removals that I'm sure many of you have experienced are a thing of the past. The procedure itself is pretty safe. It carries the risk of you know, bleeding, bruising, scarring, infection, vasovagal reactions, and very rarely device migration. Uh, the primary mechanism of action for Implanon is prevention of ovulation, but it also thickens cervical mucus to prevent the sperm from penetrating through. 
The main side effects are those that you'd expect with all of the progesterone-only options. Acne, altered bleeding patterns, ovarian cysts, mood changes, weight gain, breast tenderness, loss of libido, and headaches. It is quite a low progesterone dose that's released slowly every day, so generally it's better tolerated than maybe the mini pill or the depot would be. There are no MEK4 contraindications to its use, but it is affected by liver enzyme-inducing medications, so that may need to be something that you need to consider. Probably the most likely reason for people to be unhappy with their Implanon is if they fall into the category of people who get frequent or prolonged bleeding, which a certain proportion of women do. Often it's worth persisting for six months as it can settle with time, but that's not always the case. In terms of the bleeding patterns expected, around 20% of women will be completely amenorrheic. Some will have infrequent bleeding or light regular periods still, but for the 20 to 30% of women who experience either prolonged or frequent bleeding, they tend to be the ones who are quite unhappy and may consider having it out early. So IUDs are clearly increasing in popularity. They're the longest acting reversible option, lasting five to 10 years. They're out of the way and have either no hormones or a very low dose of primarily locally acting hormone. Can you tell us a bit more about these? As I know you do a lot of insertions of these. Yeah, look, I do love IEDs. I think they're absolutely fantastic. The major downside is that the procedure puts a lot of women off, and there still aren't actually that many doctors inserting them, especially if you leave the inner city areas. Otherwise, I think they'd be a lot more popular. An IED is a small device um, made of either plastic or metal that sits inside the uterus with two strings that extend into the vagina. These strings facilitate both removal and also monitoring of the device placement. We used to reserve this largely for women who'd already had kids, but that's simply not necessary. I insert them in plenty of young milliparous women, and they tolerate it really well overall. It, and if the insertion procedure is a big concern for that person, there's the option of insertion under sedation in some centres as well. Currently, Australia has three IEDs available. You'll all be aware of the Marina and the Copper IED, but there's also the new kid on the block, Kylina, which became available one year ago. All of them are over 99% effective, so highly effective forms of contraception. They work in a few ways to prevent pregnancy. Um, this includes inhibiting the migration of sperm through the cervix, preventing implantation, and interfering with egg survival. The hormonal options also have the added benefit of thinning the endometrium, thickening cerv cervical mucus, and in some can actually prevent ovulation as well. Okay, good. Can you go into a bit of detail about the three options for me, please? Sure. First, I'll talk about copper IEDs. These are, of course, the non-hormonal IED that's available, and depending on which one you use, they can last up to 10 years. For a woman who wants to avoid hormones completely for any reason, it's a great option. These are becoming increasingly popular for that reason. It is effective immediately as contraception. The insertion is a bit trickier, though, than it is for the hormonal IEDs, so not all IED inserters will actually do them, so it's important to be aware of. It also actually has the added benefit of being really highly effective emergency contraception if it's inserted within five days of the unprotected sex. Sadly, of course, it also has its downsides in that it can increase the heaviness, the pain, and the length of a woman's periods. Sometimes that can be quite severe and lead to someone wanting it out prematurely. I tend to be quite cautious about using this option if they already have heavier painful periods or if they have iron deficiency to pre-existing, just because it's a bit more likely for them to want it out. Next would be the Marina, and you know I think this has really been quite the game changer for women with menorrhagia, including if it's related to endometriosis or fibroids. It reduces the menstrual bleeding by over 80%, um, and many will even be amenorrheic. They last for five years, they contain the hormone levonorgestrel, and are generally well tolerated compared to other hormonal options since it is locally acting. Since it works by thinning the endometrium, it can take up to six months for those bleeding patterns to settle after insertion. 
the marina is subsidized on the PBS for both contraception and management of menorrhagia, so it's actually quite cost effective. Women over 45 can actually keep it in for seven years. The only exception to that is if it's also being used um, as endometrial protection in women on HRT, in which case you want to keep to the five years still. The last one is the Kylina, which is new to Australia, as I said, but it's been around in Europe and the Americas for some years already. They release about half the hormonal dose compared to a marina. The big differences are that it's slightly smaller and therefore it is slightly easier to insert, which is a particular concern for younger women especially. And because it is a lower hormonal dose, it doesn't cause as much of a reduction in the menstrual blood loss, which some women actually prefer. They want to have a period every month still. You can reassure women it has a similar, pretty similar efficacy. It's still well over 99% and it can still be used for the normal five years. Interestingly, the studies don't show any reduction in the hormonal side effects compared to the marina, despite it being a much lower dose, which is interesting. Hormonal IUDs can still cause all the same progesterone side effects as the rest, but there's no doubt it's probably less frequent. So I think it's important to give the option for the Kylina, but for many, marina is still the better option if they're using it for any other reasons as well. Okay, thank you very much. Can you discuss a bit more about the actual procedure and when you shouldn't use an IUD? Yeah, so there are some contraindications to IUDs. Probably the biggest one is, you know, if they have a current or recent pelvic infection or STI, if they're currently pregnant, of course, or if they have gestational trophoblast disease, or if they have any other current cancers like breast, endometrial, or cervical cancer. And the last one would just be, you know, if they have really significant distortion of the uterine cavity, so, you know, a congenital anomaly or a massive fibroid. If the woman has just delivered a baby, it's best to either insert the IUD within 48 hours or otherwise you should wait a full four weeks after. The complications I discuss when consenting for the procedure would be infection, perforation, pregnancy complications should they fall pregnant, vasovagal reactions, failure to insert the device, and expulsion as well. The perforation risk is about one to two in a thousand, but that is dependent on the experience of the inserter as well. You should always arrange a chlamydia and gonorrhea test for all women pre-insertion, regardless of your risk assessment, as many women are asymptomatic with these infections and you can't assume that, you know, that both partners are monogamous or anything like that. All of the hormonal options take seven days to be effective as contraception, if not inserted at the beginning of the menstrual cycle. I always reassure them that it's very common to have some mild pain and spotting for a few days afterwards, and that can just be managed with, you know, anti-inflammatories and heat packs. I also let all women know not to put anything inside their vagina for the first two to three days afterwards because that helps to reduce the infection risk. So what I mean by nothing inside the vagina is no vaginal sex, um, no tampons, no swimming, no baths. So nothing that's going to increase that risk. I also tend to always follow up with all the women I see, usually around six weeks um, after the insertion, just to troubleshoot any issues and make sure everything's going well, see that I can see their strings, that sort of thing. I recommend all women are comfortable with feeling their own strings as well and give that a try after a week or so. Okay, so how do you time insertion or exclude pregnancy? This is relevant to all of the larks actually, and it's really important to exclude pregnancy before insertion, particularly for an IUD given the risk of pregnancy complications if they were to fall pregnant with it in. And the highest risk time is around insertion um, in the the couple weeks before and the, the first week afterwards before it's fully effective. So if you're inserting it during their period, you can be quite confident that they're not pregnant and also that all of the options will be effective immediately. At any other time of the month, a urine pregnancy test is only accurate if the last unprotected sex was at least three weeks ago. So if they're not using a highly effective hormonal method already, so if they're not already on the pill or an implanon or something like that, I either time insertion after abstinence for 21 days or abstinence from their last menstrual period to be confident that there's no pregnancy risk. 
Also, if you're considering removal of an IUD or an implant, make sure that there's been no unprotected sex for one week before um, if they don't want to be at risk of pregnancy because that's how long sperm can survive in that environment and fertility does return immediately after um, removal of these devices. All right, look, thank you very much. That's all amazing stuff, a lot to take in. Lastly, can we discuss depot injections? This is a three-monthly injection of depot Provera. Why might someone consider this instead of the other options you've discussed? Yeah, interestingly, Depo is still quite popular. It surprises me how many women are happy to come back in three monthly for an injection. Personally, not my idea of fun, but you know, it, that being said, it works really well for some women. It's quite a high dose of progesterone, so it is more likely to cause certain progesterone side effects, especially weight gain. For this reason, though, it's also quite likely to cause amenorrhea. So by 12 months of use, 50 to 70% of women will have no periods at all, which you know is, is amazing. Effectiveness is not as good as the other larks though, the other ones that I've mentioned before. So it's around 96% with typical use and that's once again just because human error comes into play here. So ideally 12 weeks is the appropriate timing between injections, but you know anywhere between 10 to 14 weeks is acceptable. It can sometimes be difficult though to get people to come in at the appropriate timing. Unlike every other option available that I've, you know, that we've been discussing, whilst it's still reversible, you can't just immediately remove it if it's causing side effects because it's already been injected into a muscle. And I've seen that be quite troublesome for some women um, who have to wait up to a year for the hormones to wear off. This can also be an issue for fertility, so I tend to avoid using the depo if a woman has any plans to fall pregnant within one to two years. Another issue that's quite commonly mentioned with depo use is bone density reduction, which does increase the longer you're on the depo injections. But fortunately, studies show it, it is reversible once the depo injections are stopped. So ideally, it should be avoided if the woman's over 45, because they're not, there may not be sufficient time to regain that lost bone mass before menopause. It can still be used, but you know the risks need to be discussed with the woman, and you need to make sure that you've considered other osteoporosis risk factors as well. The only absolute contraindication to depot use is active breast cancer, but you should consider other options if they have, you know, lots of cardiovascular risk factors or a personal history of heart disease or stroke, severe liver disease or tumours. Okay, again, really good information. One last question before we wrap up. How important is it to investigate any unexplained vaginal bleeding before starting any of these contraceptive options? Yeah, that's a great one, Sean. I, I'm glad you asked that because it's incredibly important. It can be a sign of something sinister, such as malignancy, and most of these hormonal medications can mask symptoms, and some can actually worsen the condition in question. So yes, definitely investigate first. Similarly, you shouldn't ignore abnormal bleeding um, when someone's already using hormonal contraception, assuming it's just because of that. If they have new postcoital bleeding, for example, that's never normal and should always be investigated. Or let's say there's a change in the bleeding pattern after one to two years on a lark, that should also prompt at least further history and examination to ensure there's nothing else going on. The use of hormonal contraception can definitely mask symptoms, so don't ignore any changes. Mm, right, a red flag. We should always keep that in mm -hmm. mind. Thank <laughs> you. That was a lot of great information. I've learned heaps. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Any final take-home messages? Thanks again for having me. Look, I think we're incredibly lucky to be living in a time and place where we have so many options at our disposal now to allow women to control when they fall pregnant, as well as managing several gynecological conditions really effectively without the need for surgery. So please make sure you discuss all the options available to women and don't just assume what someone would want. Larks can be a great option for many women to use, but similarly as can the pill. So if you're interested in becoming an inserter for IEDs or implants, I'd highly recommend the family planning course near you and make sure you're supervised for you know at least a good few before you start doing it independently.
Great. Okay. Awesome advice. Look, Karen, thank you so much. I've learned heaps over both of our podcasts. I really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, I look forward to our long working relationship. Thank you. Thanks so much, John.